Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews Podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, and today I've got with me two amazing people, the artists Gigi Chen and Dan Alvarado. Uh, Dan and Gigi have been great friends for a long time, and he introduced me to Gigi's work, and I recently published an interview with her um, in the online edition of Interlocutor, and so Dan is joining me as a co-host for this episode. So how are you both doing? Ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I've never been uh, inside a recording studio to do a podcast. This is kind of fun. All right. I can hear myself. Yeah. Super <laughs> official. Okay. Um, well, so I will mention that, uh, well, as I had just said, we did an interview very recently in the online edition and, and it was very detailed and we're just going to kind of use those questions in your replies as a foundation and then just sort of, you know, go from there. So we'll use this just as a kicking off point. And then just see where the conversation goes. So um, let's see. You had a show up recently at Stone Sparrow or you were in a group show at Stone Sparrow um, Gallery in Greenwich Village, in the West Village. It was called Mother Nature. And so one of the questions I'd asked you um, was, how do you feel like the work that you had in that show fit into the themes of it? So we can just start with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of my work is very much based in nature. Um, I started really getting into birding, uh, about two years ago on what is called a pandemic birder because I picked it up when everybody didn't have a whole lot to do indoors. So right. I started picking that up in the winter of 2020. Um, but before that, I'd always been painting birds. I had already been loving the idea that birds tell their own story and then they have their own, I mean, every single bird has their own way of mating, their own way of migrating, their own way of living their lives. And sometimes they're super quirky. And um, I actually, a few years ago, got really into the story of the bowerbird. Mm -hmm. And I did paintings about him for a long time. And for those of you who don't know, um, the bowerbird is a bird that lives in Australia and New Guinea. And there's probably about, I don't know, a dozen different types, different colors. But their main thing, the thing they're very popular for, the thing that they're famous for, is that the male bird, in order to catch a mate, collects a lot of objects, a lot of sticks, mm -hmm. and then arranges them in these like beautiful formations, but also takes the sticks and builds these uh, amazing structures, some of them like pretty big, yeah. small like caves. And then the female bird comes down, and if, if she likes it, then he does a little dance. <laughs> and if she likes the dance... Then they they get together, and I always love that. It feels so. The story feels so human. The f story feels so personal because as artists, we make things and we show them off, and we kind of say, "Hey, I hope you you like what I do, and I hope you like me." Yeah. <laughs> and but also, people, you know, we collect we collect objects. People uh -huh. build their houses and collect furniture and collect little things, and they put wallpaper up. Yeah. So we're all kind of like that. We're all, it's all the same story, you know? So I kind of love that this one type of bird can tell a story that's super universal. So I got really hung onto that and I've been painting birds for about seven years and picking up birding felt like the right thing to do. It felt like the next step, you know, I got a camera and in the mother nature show, I made a new painting that was about this bird. His name is Flacco right. that, grew up in the Central Park Zoo and in the winter of 2023 somebody cut over his cut open his enclosure and he escaped. So now he's been living in Central Park since then. Right. And so I love that idea that he this like wild animal got domesticated and now he's back out in the wild living living amongst nature and so I wanted to make painting a painting about his story because kind of like all of us we're all kind of fighting domesticity in a lot of ways i know i am i'm that's why i go outside <laughs> a lot <laughs> how was flacco doing what's the last time you uh, checked in on him i saw him two days ago <laughs> i went to go look for him yeah i i haven't seen him for a couple of months because i've been busy painting mm -hmm. but i went out to see him he lives right now on 96th street in an under an elm tree in Central Park. And he's doing great. He looked, he was really low to the ground, fairly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was up in the tree, but mm -hmm. he's living his life, hanging out with the the squirrels and the birds and eating eating the rats, which are pretty awesome. great. 
We need <laughs> that. We need something to eat the rats. Yeah, there we go. That's our yeah. next uh, exterminator right there. It's problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. You in the uh, magazine interview, you'd said that a lot of your work is generally about the search of, for the feeling of home. But with Flacco, mm-hmm. um, and then this painting that he is in, Vacancy, um, he escaped his home, but it was not really his home. It was an artificial home because right, it's seen right. outside of the home. But I thought that was an interesting contrast to you usually depicting kind of the search for home or a sense of home. I mean, it's always. I mean, don't we all have a little bit of that when we live in New York City? I think that there's always this constant sense of uh, we're always kind of fighting for space here, you mm, know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's that sense of like, oh, what does it mean? Like, I'm living in this apartment. And what does that mean? Like, <laughs> like we're living in this like box in the sky. And and <laughs> yeah. and I grew up and funny, I actually grew up in a house um, in Queens. Mm-hmm. My parents uh, immigrated here. I actually immigrated here too with them when I was eight months from China. And my parents worked really hard and bought a house in the 80s back when you can work a working class job and buy a house, Yeah, you know? And so I grew up in a house. And so I always kind of thought, oh, like this is what it's like to have a home. But the older I get, returning to that home doesn't feel the same. And even though I've been living in the same apartment in West Harlem for 17 years, I still... Wow, that's a good track record for New York. It's pretty good, right? You like that? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) We're unstabilized, guys. Um, I'm never going to leave. And it's like a funny thing. What does it mean when you're kind of like living in a one-bedroom in Manhattan and like, I don't know, like, is it home or is it just a place that we kind of go to? I don't know. Yeah. I kind of think about that very often, you know, and the sense of home changes as we get older. And uh, like, um, I also mentioned in the article that my mom died when I was uh, 27. So it's been like a little while, but uh, I'm 41 now. But uh, and losing family also makes you wonder what is home? Like it makes you question Mm -hmm. what is home? What does it mean? What does it mean to um, as an adult to Mm -hmm. go through your life? Uh, trying to figure out the different variations of what home means and what family means, you know? So I do explore a lot of that in my work, even though a lot of my work looks just like they're a bunch of cute birds, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, it's funny. I actually don't, the only time I actually talk too much about my work is when I do interviews and when I'm Mm. doing written or, or audio interviews, mostly because I really, I like people looking at my work and thinking about it because I, Especially since I've started painting homes and I started using neon and, and I, and I use words for a little while in neon. I think people, people have, many people have actually reached out to me and said they understood my work, even though I never really talk about my work too much. Mm. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm actually very, uh, I'm very private, you know, Mm. and talking about my family is a pretty new thing, mostly because I, I don't know, I really don't, not just, about my work, but I don't like telling people like what my life is generally because most mm. of my life is, I mean, mostly indoors painting and going outside and birding. But, um, but the having that be open, but, but people connect to the symbolism of home, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and people connect to birds because I mean, they're natural, they're beautiful, they're cute, but adding the cute element with this, I hope a deep element that people can hold on to. I think that's kind of uh, the way I connect with people because I think everyone has a sense of loss and a different sense of home. Yeah, for sure. And I want to mention that uh, for every one of these podcast episodes, I put up a page on the Interlocutor website. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of visual artists, so we uh, will include a lot of the work. A lot of the work is also a link to the um, interview that you did in the magazine, which also has several um, examples of your work, but I can also embed some more link to your site. So anybody who's listening, if they're curious about what the uh, incredible works look like, they can. Um, so yeah. Um, birds themselves, you know, I, I had, I had asked you something about birding, like, like why you'd like to paint birds and, and, and like you had said that they're just kind of naturally surreal and heightened. Oh, themselves. they're naturally perfect. Yeah. I mean, really, they're, they're perfect, tiny little machines. things just like going and they <laughs> yeah. can go for miles and miles and miles for days without stopping. And 
like what? <laughs> and, and the scientists are just finding out more and more about them, and I'm finding more and more about them as I as I'm doing this. It's only been two years, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, got my camera and I follow them and I see and I'm learning and I'm also learning about the bird com- birder community, which is a whole whole culture. Yeah. Mm. Believe it or not, like super nerdy, amazing. And birders are awesome to be around because they love sharing information. And I have become one of those people who will tell you about birds without you ever asking. And it's some thing. <laughs> there could be worse topics. They're fun. They're beautiful. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, touch up more of when you're actually going out birding and photographing them and putting them into your work with the composition. Like mm-hmm. are, when you're shooting, are you shooting them in the daytime? Most of, for the most oh, part. Oh yeah, I mean yes, yes. Up until it gets dark, like my I just actually just upgraded my camera, but um, yeah, daytime, you yeah. know. And sometimes the some of the birds will show up in early, early evening, so you can catch them before the light comes out. Especially because it's summer, yeah. you know. And um, and I think about like right now it's going to be in a f- couple weeks, and actually it's probably happening. Fall migration is happening, so you start mm-hmm. getting into the seasons of right. when things are here and when they come back and start taking birding trips with other birders and all kind of <laughs> stuff like that. Um, well, when I shoot, I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm new at photography. Mm-hmm. I'm very new at it. And like, I mean, that's a whole thing. It's a yeah. whole thing to do photography. Yeah. And I, you know, I picked up this Sony. I had an A6000 for about two years and, uh, and I bought myself a bigger lens on the advice of a birder. And I got myself binoculars recently and, when I go shooting, I'm not thinking about my work so much, but I, I do shoot like a painter. I don't mm-hmm. shoot. I mean, there's nature photographers and those people are amazing. I'm not really a nature photographer. Mm-hmm. I, I shoot for, for me, for my work. And I don't really even show it too often. Every now and then I put them up in my stories or make a Facebook post because it's really fun. I really love doing it and nailing a good shot. Birds are impossible to shoot. They're tiny mm. and they don't care about you. They're just living their lives. And you're lucky if a special bird lets you just get a little bit closer and just if they if you can get a bird to sit for you for more than 30 seconds, you have it made. You're done. You're great. Like <sighs> solid. You know, if you get them for sitting for you for more than 30 seconds, then you can shoot all day. Like really, it feels that way. So what's a what's what's an instance where that's happened for you where a, a bird is just let just posed for you oh my gosh um i mean i think it's more like an instance of something like super special happening you know and it could be a super special thing could be like a a sparrow just a regular sparrow or just a pigeon but i was um i was in chicago and i was in chicago in may for spring migration and i went out with birders you know and there are certain places that are so great lincoln park's great um, and you can go there and I was hoping to see a scarlet tanager, which is this like bright red bird. He's super tiny, really beautiful with like, like dark wings. And, he, and I saw him like, you could see him because he's bright red. So you kind of, as a birder, you also start to see things. You just like, you catch it in the corner of your eye and you go like, okay, there it goes. And then you start following it. If you were lucky, you can follow it. And I saw it. And it just like was on the branch for like, like probably a whole minute. <laughs> wow. It was like doing its thing. And, yeah. and when you're shooting and shooting is so quick, right? If it's there for a minute. You can shoot like, you know, 30 shots, yeah. you know, yeah, it's pretty special. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. And you started tuning your eyes to look for things. And I use an app called the Merlin app where if you're in, a, if you're in the woods or even in Central Park, you can turn it on and it could tell you what's around. It could hear the birds singing. So if you're oh, looking cool. for, say, a special bird, like I was in Chicago, I was looking for an indigo bunting. It's like there's an indigo bunting. I've never seen it. It's super tiny. It's like, like what, two and a half inches? You know, it's fully, it's not big. And I'm thick in the woods with my friend. And she said, there's an indigo bunting. And I look around and I like look up and I'm like, there it is. How did I see it? I don't know how I saw it. <sighs> and then, like things like that. And it stood still for me. For thirty seconds, it's like so. It's you know? it, it it is sharpening your perceptions. It's like you know, it's literally changing your mm-hmm. your your skill with yeah. uh, perception. But it's also made me very um, much more sensitive to like life itself. You know, which is great for an artist. 
of which is great for an artist i i mean it's also kind of makes me like people less which is also interesting (laughs) i mean that's like a funny thing the more you kind of learn about nature and the fragility of nature uh the less i'm like i'm like whoa people people don't care about this stuff you know people don't care which is a weird thing to i mean not i'm not saying that people don't care i don't want to be cynical i'm saying that more, um, more people should care. Yeah, I wish, like, we you know, they're yeah. such a delicate, they're so delicate and they're beautiful and not just care about birds, but care about like nature, you know? Right. So that's kind of made me think a little bit more deeply about when I like put together my work. Um, but then again, it's also kind of detra- in a lot of ways, it's also been a bit of a distraction for my work because I'm spending a lot of time outside and then. Uh, and then I'm coming back to the studio and it feels a little bit less, more lonely being in the studio once you're kind of like spend the whole day out, like with a camera, with the animals, you yeah. know? So there's like, you know, pluses and minuses to any hobby. And this is my first real hobby in like a long time. Talk a bit about the birder community. Um, what types of people do they tend to be? Are there, have you met many other artists? I've met some birders? artists, but it's mostly just people who have taken it up because I mean, pandemic or not. I think it's become it's a really inexpensive way to relax. You know? Yeah. Just I be mean, in nature. even if you don't have binoculars, like and I didn't have binoculars or a camera for a while, just to be outside and and just to notice things. You know, and as an artist, to learn to sometimes we can get in our studios and we're like, oh, these are the these are the tasks we have to complete. And to be outside, it makes you kind of more aware of the wider world and the and these I mean, these animals are traveling from like other countries, other continents, you know, to get here Mm -hmm. just to eat and then move on. And it makes you really, for me, it made me really think about not just the fragility of life, but how, how amazing the world is and how amazing life is. And it makes me kind of think about, sometimes it gives me an existential crisis because my job is to sit in a room yeah. <laughs> and paint things. Um, but it also has given me something to really look forward to besides my work. And the birder community mm. is really interesting because they're all sorts of people. They're all sorts. Yeah. And, and you could be a casual, you could be outside and just look and I think of you as a birder. You don't have to be serious, you know? And, and I'm semi-serious. <laughs> I have my camera, but I'm not, are there like pro level yes. birders? Is there like some kind of certification? If is it well, this is Audubon Society, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't really know about pro. I think there are people <laughs> who are just really into it. You can yeah. learn. You could teach it yourself. You could you could teach yourself how to bird. I mean, you could just. I have like, oh, I have like a chart, and I cross things off, and yeah. and then I write them all down, and mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like collecting Pokemon. but the birder community is really lovely and especially other photographers i've learned mostly how to photograph from meeting other bird photographers and Mm. most of them will just let you kind of hang out with them you know like sometimes i don't know something and they're just like okay let me see your camera and then they show me they're like you should look at this you should do this and because i also had to teach myself photography i didn't know i had a nice camera and i recently um updated my camera to a sony um a seven four. So that's like been a little bit of a jump and also an investment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's a funny, it's a funny thing to do something that isn't, it is related to my work, but really it's for me, but it's really satisfying to sit at the end of the day and go through my shots and be like, this would be a great painting, mm. you know? Yeah. To me, it sounds like a really wonderful balance at the time that you have to spend alone, you know, mm-hmm. creating the, these works. And then you're, out in nature around other people and in interacting with nature in a different whole different context yeah, and also interacting with different types of people yeah. different mm-hmm. completely different types of people right you know and there are definitely i definitely know some painters that are that are birders which is pretty great you know also yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and and also uh you you had mentioned in the magazine uh interview that you have a special love of new york city birds like pigeons and sparrows, you know, and, 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 and you had said the poor pigeons are so, you know, they're maligned as you know, flying rats and, and, but some pigeons actually can be pretty beautiful. 
I've seen, I mean, pigeons in general, and you just talked about yeah. the, how smart they are and communal. And they don't carry diseases like people say they do. They're just, look, listen, city is disgusting. It's not their fault they're dirty. <laughs> like, seriously, it is, yeah. it just isn't their fault. They're not, they're not dirty because they're dirty animals. They're, they're dirty because the city is gross. Yeah. But for some reason, we don't think of sparrows that way. Sparrows are also just as gross. I've seen all sorts of stuff on huh. them. And like, just because the pigeons are super, I mean, they're so common and they're common different colors. And I mean, a lot of the birds were brought here from like other countries. Like yeah. the sparrows are not indigenous to, to North America, you know? So it's like this like funny thing to think about animals being like, Oh, you know, they're so gross. And it's like, well, I mean, first of all, they didn't come from here. So it's not your, it's not their fault. Yeah. And also the city is gross. Um, but sparrow pigeons don't really carry diseases like that. They carry, they can carry mites, but they don't really harm people. These are all mm. things I learned recently mm. because, um, I recently did a, my first pigeon rescue and that was oh. very interesting. And that was something when I was looking on the, the wild. So when you guys, if you see a bird that's hurt, if you can, you can bring it to the wild bird fund on the Upper West Side. And I called up a friend to help me because she knew how to do it. And she, she just taught me, you just grab, she, she just showed me how to grab the bird and put it, we put it in a shopping bag. We brought it to the wild bird fund. But I, when I was thinking about what to do, um, I looked it up and, you know, on the wild bird fund side, they're like, these are the things, these are all the misconceptions. And so. It's like also like because I love animals, I'm kind of like, oh, no, these are things I have to do now. Like I have to care <laughs> like that, you know, um, but I love I love sparrows. They're they're so fun to watch. They're so tiny. They're so yeah. noisy. Um, and they were brought they were brought here from Europe. Uh, sparrows were brought here from Europe to make the new world, quote unquote, look uh, nicer, more interesting. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, wow. True. Just aesthetically and just yeah, with their presence. and their Yeah. Something familiar. For the people yeah. who move here wow. or come here or, or, or journey here, you know, <laughs> way back when. And, uh, and they just proliferated. Yeah. So it isn't their fault. There are so many. They're just really great at proliferating. They're like really adaptive. Well, and pigeons, I, I had read somewhere that the reasons p pigeons are so uh, ubiquitous in cities, especially with skyscrapers, is because they naturally, in the natural environment, they nest on cliff sides. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they, they're immediately adaptable to high rises and the nooks mm -hmm. and crannies and high rises. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those were also brought here, you know? Yeah. And, and honestly, pigeons are actually quite tame. That's why they're not afraid of us. So hmm. that there's nothing really to be afraid of. I don't, you know, just because they're everywhere and they're flapping and they're bigger than sparrows. Um, <laughs> I know they're, they're so beautiful and they're so much fun to paint because they're so, they're iridescent. Everybody looks different. And they're, you know, they got their little thing and they're super sweet. And they, I have a friend that has two rescue pigeons and they are the sweetest. They're so sweet. They're sweet. They want to hang out, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely enhances in regards of the uh, color palette with the, when you're painting pigeons, you mm -hmm. know, in regards to the various color schemes. But, uh, but one thing I actually wanted to uh, ask you about was, you know, going from your photograph and actually going from the photograph to the painting itself right. and particular because knowing your works for a while now like you pretty much have this great um illumination you know with your it's very vibrant with what you do and in particular you know with the neon lights that you pretty much have these great light sources that you're pretty much composing mm -hmm. pretty much out of your mind and like how like how does that happen i want like how how do you go from photographing a bird in the daytime to pretty much creating these illuminating works of night scenes and neon lights and so forth, in particular with the light sources that you pretty much choose with your work? So, like, I think I started doing the the neon work probably about five years ago. I I was looking, I was I was kind of bored. I was painting um, bower birds for a long time. I had I did uh, I did the series of bower birds for about seven years. I was uh, collecting objects and building bowers in my apartment and uh, photographing them and telling stories through them. And I was, so in a lot of ways, I was painting a lot of nests or things that look like nests and, and then designing patterns. And I was doing that over and over and over again. And I was uh, doing a solo show for Deep Space Gallery in Jersey. And I, I think I'd already done like six paintings for them. And near like maybe the last like two, month and a half I was working on that show, I was like, oh, I need to. I want to make more work. 
I just can't keep doing this. So I, I don't know. I think I had, um, I was going through some personal stuff and I was feeling very, uh, I was not that I was bored. I think I was, I was going through a bit of an emotional, like rut and, and also just like kind of just trying to figure out what else I wanted to do. And so I I thought about the neon. I don't know how I thought about the neon. Maybe I was like walking down the street and I was like, that'd mm. be fun. I was looking for something that would create a different dimension. And so I started painting the word you along with these bowerbirds, like neon, like the word you, why, why you? Um, because I wanted, I wanted to create a sense of that the painting was looking at you. I wanted the sense mm. that the the birds were acknowledging your existence and I, and I think as an artist, I mean, as people, we, we do really want to feel seen and we want to, I mean, looking at art is very passive in a lot of ways. A lot, I mean, you can pass by a piece, you can like it, you don't like it. And if a painting can arrest you, can stop you and say, and make you feel like, Hey, like this painting is acknowledging my existence and I would like to acknowledge its existence, <laughs> you know, and also these birds are just kind of like looking at you. Why are you? Um, and so I, I really kind of love that. I love having that acknowledgement of viewer to painter and painter back to viewer and having a neon sign in a natural world is like this marriage of like, you know, nature, technology, and you can have beauty in both if you can integrate it like properly, you know? And also it, it, it was really fun to learn how to do it because I'd never done it before. I've never, and in a lot of ways, what I do is is super not natural. Like it really just not, not just because they don't look natural because the neon is in the, the nature, mm -hmm. but because I don't really know how to do that. Like I actually don't, I mean, I've looked at a lot of Renaissance painting, like De La Torre, like did a lot of uh, painting with light, but I just kind of make it up, which is also this like funny thing because neon disperses in so many different ways. Light disperses in such a different way. But I basically had to teach myself how to just give it an illusion. It's honestly, it's just an illusion. Nothing about it is probably how neon actually works. But I wanted to create something that would allow me a different kind of depth, tell a different kind of story. And also I wanted to just play and I was getting tired of sometimes, sometimes I put neon in my work because it's just fun and I don't want to think about it. And sometimes it's symbolic. Sometimes it's just like really pretty, but it's funny now that I've been doing neon paintings now for four or five years. And whenever I compose a painting now, I think in my head, what will it look like with neon or not neon? And I can flip it in my head back and forth, Whoa. daytime, nighttime, daytime, nighttime. And <laughs> I choose daytime sometimes because guys, honestly, technically it's a lot easier. Like it really is. I mean, I know this is like, it's totally a cheat for me to paint night paintings because in a lot of ways I don't have to put in a lot, right? You just kind of have a little bit of background, have things kind of go in and out and, and, and you kind of paint even the foreground a little bit, like really nice, just nice enough. And then you add the neon, you can get away with so much stuff. I mean, I, I and it isn't like it, I learned it, that it was a cheat, like probably a three paintings. And I was like, when I'm thinking, oh, could it be daytime and nighttime? I'm like, when is this painting due? If I have a, if I have a, if I have a deadline, I'm like, mm, all right, the deadline's in three weeks. Can I do this? And can I do this painting in three weeks? Or should I, uh, <laughs> I'm like, should I, if I make it daytime, it's going to be harder. That means I have to yeah. paint clouds. I have to paint trees. Um, <laughs> 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 so, so for me, I'm like, okay, like, so it's become, but I mean, it still looks great. And don't get me wrong. It's still this, um, so a challenge no matter what but in my head i have to ask myself is there a reason i have it's become in a way where i have to ask myself is there a reason for me to do it or is it just because a i have a deadline or b because like i'm like i just want to make it easier for myself and yeah. because when you're starting off with a dark background and you're just kind of adding it it's not really a painting for me honestly is like more productive and easier um and when i'm painting a sky and i'm painting trees and i have the light it and it's um a whole thing. But you know, when I, when I take photographs, um, every now and then I find a photograph where I'm like, I can't wait to paint this. But a lot of times it isn't that way. But I, I, you know, I compose everything based still on a story. Everything mm -hmm. still has a story. 
I mean, I sure I have a few paintings where it's just like portraits of birds being cute, but that's because it's super fun. And sometimes I just need to make something cute for myself to make me happy. But I mostly don't, I don't, I don't want to make arbitrary work. I don't want to just be making work because it's beautiful. I want to mm -hmm. make work that is beautiful, but can also tell a story. And maybe somebody can take something personal away from it because a yeah. lot of my work, I'd like to hope that most of my work comes off as being personal, even though I guess a lot of people think it's just kind of cute. I mean, I don't know what the perception is generally. I don't usually ask people. But well, going back to, to Neon real quick, I mean, one thing that jumped out at me is um, in the original interviews, I'd asked about, you know, the art artificial Neon versus like the natural you know, settings or the, you know, these natural creatures, but you, you'd said that basically civilization was built on the back of nature yeah. and anything that even that we consider artificial is really not because we're using, you know, actual natural materials like neon is like a, mm -hmm. it's a gas, you know, that already yeah. exists. We're harnessing it in a, in a unique way, but there's nothing that's completely artificial anyway sure. so we're not we're never fully disconnected from that yeah i mean we're, we're and, and as hard as we try we really can't be disconnected from nature you know like it's not no and it's turning out to be a kind of our downfall anyways we're, we're too disconnected yeah i don't want to mm -hmm. talk about like stuff like that it's so sad because i already i mean i'm already like sad like as i said like you know picking up birding has made me sadder but also more hopeful but also sadder in many ways you know but um the yeah the neon the neon thing has become something for me as a way to kind of give tell me let me tell different stories mm -hmm. you know like storytelling is super important for me i i have a degree in traditional animation from school of visual arts and i never ended up in the business but storytelling was a major part of animation and so for me storytelling in my work is important like i don't want to ever just throw something in because it's nice you know well and then uh, the way that neon is presented in a lot of your work they are literally the the frames of homes right sometimes they are frames of homes sometimes they they represent um the searching or the entrapment of home or you know mm -hmm. um i have this one painting uh with uh there are all these little titmouse birds like on the the outside of a cage and the cage is open but there's like a neon house inside and all the birds are looking at the house and that for me, when I created that painting, a lot of people resonated with it for many different reasons. But for me, I made that painting, that symbolism of the birds looking on a cage, looking in the house that's inside the cage, trying to decide, do I go inside? <sighs> and that is some, that, that is something that, um, as a, as an adult woman, you know, in her forties, I have to ask myself all those things. Like, what do I want in my life? And that painting was my way of wondering and like thinking about it. Like, what do I want in my life? Do I want to, you know, the picket fence? Do I don't have family? Do I want to, like, what does it mean? You know, yeah. so these are, these are like all these like funny things. What's the title of that painting? I can't remember if you mentioned um, it. Curiously Illuminated. Curiously Illuminated. Yeah. You have to send that to me. I can add it to the, oh, to yeah. the page. It's, it's on. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's you in put the, it up. Yeah. It's one of my favorite paintings. <laughs> okay. Um, because, because that one, when I made it was when I was composing it. And I, so, you know, going back to what Dan, you were asking is that when I, when I come up with an idea, it's usually in my head, I make a stupid sketch and I compose everything with, uh, with Photoshop, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and I do put it all together. So in the end, I actually do know what the painting will look like in the end. Uh, sort of like compositionally. But yeah, right. So right, nothing, right. nothing for me is ever super arbitrary. As I said, um, the compositions for me are all very. Uh, I need every. I I'm not an artist that can kind of sit and just do something. Unfortunately, like I've never been that kind of artist. I am an overthinker. I need everything composed, and I need to know what it is by the end. Like I wish I was a more spontaneous artist. I love. <laughs> I love artists that can just be loose and do their mm. thing. You know, in a lot of ways, sometimes that's what you do, Dan. Like you're, mm -hmm. you know, you have an idea, but you kind of let, let it be like you yeah. let it become something like right. I unfortunately can't really be that way. Um, so when I was composing that painting, I, that one just ca like came to me. Like I, I don't love painting cages because they're annoying to paint because of all the, <laughs> the rungs. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to, if I thought if I'm going to paint a bird with a cage, which is such an obvious symbolism of freedom, blah, blah, blah. Um, I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to tell a story that was about, um, what is the composition of freedom? 
What does it mean to us yeah. personally? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to make choices? Mm-hmm. And and I wanted that painting to represent, like, for me, like, kind of like, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really know. The birds don't really know. The, the, the bir- if the birds go to home, they're going to go into the cage. Mm-hmm. And... And maybe for me, when I was in my late thirties, I was like, "Oh, maybe that's what it means to like get married and have children." Like, I don't know. But <laughs> and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But maybe for me, I didn't, I didn't know, right? Like, we don't, we we all have all these like different ideas of what we think we're supposed to want or be, and um, and that was my way of like wondering out loud, what does it mean to want and be, right? So certain existential crises that i have every now and then <laughs> well i'm just thinking about you know the, how how kind of fixated people can be on the perfect quote-unquote home too right. mm-hmm. and then that can turn into you know some almost like a problem like a money pit if somebody is investing a huge amount in restoring an old home or building a new home and all of a sudden they're massively in debt and it is it like becomes a question uh, well, it's too late to back out now. Yeah. This is my home, but is it? But has it become more like a prison? Right. But is them? it? Is it more like? Do you want it, or because you kind of were told that you're supposed to want it? Like mm-hmm. even even sure, as an yeah. artist, even as an artist, I always like ask myself, well, I want the gallery stuff. I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. Um, and then when you get it, you're like, oh, like it's just more work, you know? <laughs> like you know, like oh yeah, I'm finally like working galleries I love, but I'm always working. And, but before it's like, oh, when no one cared and no one wanted to show me or whatever, it was like, I was also like, no, nobody loves me. And, and now it's like, oh yeah, people like me, but they want me to work a lot, you know? (laughs) So it's all of these, there's a lot of dichotomies in life, right? There's so much like, like, like the, the mild ambivalence I have towards being an artist, you know? It's it's all part of the hustle of being an artist, especially. Oh, but I hate that word. I hate uh, that hate word, word so much. Huh? You, you, you hate it. I hate it because I don't like that it sounds like that. It sounds just like I think it makes it sound like I don't really know why. I, I don't. I don't there, like that. Well, there's word kind of like a crassness to it, almost. It's like, a crassness. It's yeah. it's singular, and mm. it and it makes it sound like oh. That it's always going to be like this, and mm, that's and, fa- that's a fair point. Yeah, and it's like it's like well, first of all, I'm not. First of all, guys, let's just let's just face the facts here. I sit in a room by myself all day. I'm not on a construction site. I'm not in the fucking coal mines. Excuse me. Should I? Can I curse on this? Oh, thing? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, I'm not actually doing anything <laughs> that's like quote unquote hard. So what the hell are we calling it a hustle and a grind for? It's like I spend my time sending emails trying to sell artwork painting birds guys like look sometimes it sucks sometimes i'm not selling and it sucks and sometimes i'm painting forever and ever and ever and i never know what's going to happen which is like daily but honestly like how privileged are we look at us we're sitting in a room three of us in front of a microphone like oh is this the hustle is this the grind Dan, Dan, you work a finance job and you're like in an office. Oh, like, so, oh, don't, you know? d- all right. We, we don't need to reveal all that. No, but why. meaning that, Dan, you get that we have the privilege of like being able to have space to make our work. This is what we're doing. Yeah. It's not a grind. It's not a hustle. It's not in the coal mines. We're not. I mean, yeah, it's right. super. It's also a choice. It, it, this is also this like my chosen career. I could have been an animator in an, in a studio with a regular job and a salary, but like I didn't want to do that. I chose to live a, the life of a daily existential crisis. Like it's not a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't really. Well, you know, you're more. Exce- I think everybody is in some way has some daily existential crisis, but a lot yeah. of people don't directly acknowledge it or admit that to themselves. It's right? really hard. You're kind of sitting in it. So you could call it admirable in a way because you're 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 kind of embracing it and utilizing it in a way, mm-hmm. um, kind of a feedback in a way with yeah. the work. I think it's important for artists and like of any age and any part of their career to be like, hey, like this is first of all, this has been a choice, and after a certain point, it becomes like it's kind of not a choice anymore. Sure, but this is not something that is normal. And it's not something that is, well, quote unquote normal. And it's not something that I'm not grateful every day to be an artist. 
but I am grateful most of the days, mm-hmm. you know, and it's okay to be like, whoa, this sucks. This sucks that I'm making all this work and it's taking forever to sell. Maybe I'm not selling at all. And I had years where I wasn't selling, but yet, you know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Like I've been in the art world for almost since my early, my early, uh, early twenties. I'm really lucky, but I didn't sell almost all of my twenties. And like somehow I was still busting out artwork all the time. I mean, we have to just ask ourselves, why do we do this all the time? You know, like I would be making this stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's just really nice when there's an audience. Mm -hmm. It's really nice that you guys care enough to ask me to do an interview, Mm -hmm. like that you like my work enough that you're acknowledging my existence. And that's awesome. So like when... And I'm not saying that you can't, I mean, I complain all the time, guys. It's like a daily basis that I'm like, oh my God, being an artist is so stupid. But, but it's also sort of like, I have to acknowledge that it's kind of awesome, you know, but it's also, I spent the first half of my career where no one cared, but even though, even though I showed all the time, I was showing everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and so it isn't, I couldn't have said no one cares. I just wasn't selling. I think the negative connotation with the word hustle comes from acknowledge wanting to be acknowledged people are hustling to be acknowledged that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of but the word but acknowledgement has has changed so much since i started in my 20s you know Mm -hmm. like we didn't have instagram we didn't have facebook Mm -hmm. we didn't have social media like acknowledgement is in different degrees now like back then when i was looking when i was in my 20s looking for a show i would go into the gallery and talk to people i would send emails like people would ignore me you know, mm. people didn't care. And, but I showed, as I said, I showed all the time. I was getting solo shows and I was having whole solo shows not getting sold. And what does it mean when you have the veneer of success, but you're like, like mm. not financially showing for it? Mm. And what does it mean for you as an artist, like to want that so bad? Right. And I, and that really for me has been something that, um, I've been really, I've been really lucky that I've stuck it out long enough where I've, been i'm constantly showing now and my work has evolved and i've allowed my work to evolve and i think that sometimes um artists can i mean i just want to like honestly i just want to tell like my artist friends it's like relax and just keep making work you know because i i don't know sometimes like i don't know what i'm doing sometimes every day but yet Mm -hmm. I feel like the safest thing for me to do is to go to the studio and paint, Well, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so just to add on to that, um, and knowing with other artists or like, say, you know, you mentioned that if you weren't working on your paintings then you can work as an animator, but just to say, you know, from a creative perspective out of there, that mm-hmm. if like, say if you stopped, whether it's animating, painting, whatever it is, but like, would you feel that a part of you, is missing like it like having this creative outlet is a must like it is like your life yes of course that's why i'm doing this that's why i decided not to take a real job quote unquote real job you know quote take a full-time like like uh industry job you know right and i and i had the chance to when i left college in 2004 and um no, and it, you know, honestly, I work a part-time job. I, I work with an artist, and I've been with her for 22 years. I've been mm-hmm. with the same artist since I was 19 years old. And when I was in my 20s, I was her full-time assistant, and she taught me how to paint. And if I didn't have that, I don't know where my life would have been. Like, she picked mm-hmm. me up out of college, and I didn't realize I would stay with her for so long. Like, I started working with her when I turned 19, and now I'm 41, so it's been a long time. I'm only with her like twice a week now, sometimes once a week, depending on the time. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, there isn't, you know, if I think that I have this, and I, most fine artists, most artists have this like impulse to work, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just lucky that I chose a career, or rather, I chose a career in which I had the time to. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to... I work this part-time job. I take other jobs. I take mural jobs. I take some freelance work if I have to, uh, when I want to, mm-hmm. you know, and when I'm, when I'm given the chance to rather. And, and I save my money up. And then that's what I use to like pay for this career, mm-hmm. you know? And I really need to do this. <laughs> I, I mean, that's really what it is. I, I really, really that. need to do this. It isn't yeah. like this, some sort of, it's not about money. 
unfortunately, it's not about money, guys. <laughs> um, it's because if I if I was working a full-time animation job, I would still probably be doing this, you know? It's because I really, really want to tell these stories. And that is really why I do it. And you've been you able know? to process a lot of uh, situations in your life through your work. Um, That's I'm, new. That's new. And well, and new. I, I bring this yeah. up because I want to I wanna touch on um, your Governor's Island uh, mural, mm-hmm. which to me kind of felt like sort of a, a, a culmination of for in a lot of ways thematically in your work mm-hmm. and, and a way to process um, grief, right? Cause it was right. about the loss of your mother. Right. And so you started with this painting home, aw- home away from home, away from home mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2021. And then you basically expanded that whole painting out into this full room was it one room or was it was it a mo- full room it's a full yeah, room um, in a house on governor's island yeah i mean when i did that uh that first painting that you mentioned home away from home away from home that was the very first time i made a painting about my mom and a very first time i ever made a painting about my family and also probably the first time i'd ever like openly talked about my mother to the public i suppose and I made that painting in my studio for a solo show for Antler Gallery in Portland uh, in 2021. Mm. And when I composed that painting, I didn't know initially what it was about. And then when I was painting it, I was like, oh, no, this is about my mom. So, um, you know, the scribe of the painting is like there's a blue heron who represents my mother with a neon cage of a house on her back. And there are three red-winged blackbirds chasing her. And those red-winged blackbirds represent my two sisters and I. And it's kind of like the scene of these three birds chasing home forever and ever and ever. And when I realized that it was about my mom, I could not stop crying. I, every time I talked about that painting, I cried. People would walk in, I would talk about it, I would cry. People would be on the phone, I would tell them about the painting, I would cry. And it was crazy because my mom died in 2009 um, and I was 27 years old. I... I think after she died, I spent a lot of time clubbing. Uh, I don't drink and I wasn't doing drugs. So I was just out all night. I would just meet people and go clubbing all night. I never danced before. And I just like would go out and I did all this stuff. And so in a lot of ways, I kind of, I kind of, uh, grieved her through avoidance, uh, and a partying as a person in their twenties would. And when I made that, so when I, I got that residency from Foreheads, which is an organization that was one of the first organizations to ever have, uh, any sort of art program on Governor's Island. You know, they were there right when they, when the island opened, uh, about 15 something years ago. And I, they gave me a full room and they knew that I was planning on doing a mural. They had initially given me a smaller room. And then when they changed the plans, they gave me the much bigger room. And I was like, are you sure guys? And they're like, you could do it. Go ahead. Yeah. And I have never, I've done murals before. I've been doing murals for over 10 years. Um, I've never done a mural for myself. And I probably sat in that room for about a month. And I was like, what do I really want to tell? Do I want, do I want to do something? I want to do something beautiful always, but I wanted to do something that was about me. And it, because if it was going to be a mural that I was going to do for myself, I wanted it to do it for myself, you know, for me, really for me. And so I wanted to expand on that painting. So I did add the heron with the, the, the caged house on the back, which is my mom. And I added the three red winged blackbirds, but I also created the scene because it was a full room. I wanted to create a full 360 where it was this golden neon house held up by, by swallows. Also birds that I first saw for the first time on Governor's Island and And I also started birding last summer, really, really birding, really doing bird photography on on Governor's Island. So I wanted to include birds that were on the island that I started having special connections with. Mm -hmm. And so this like golden neon cage was busting out all of these neon birds. And these neon birds would become the motif that you would follow around the room that led from, you know, like life being given out by this neon cage, following like the red winged blackbirds that were following my mother, my mother bird. And all of these neon birds would, you know, culminate this big neon uh, circle that were held up by birds because I wanted the idea of like life, death, and then um, the circle of life, like, you know, like your friends kind of coming there for you. So 
all the birds that were holding up the circle were representative of my friends and my family, you know, where you're going to like, you know, life starts, you go through grief with your family. And then in the end, you have the people around you um, that helps you resolve things, you know, um, and, and it really kind of is like that over and over and over again. And, and certainly, you know, for all of us, as we get older, like we are going to lose more and more people and having, having that happen, having that mural was the first time that I talked about it with people that I didn't know super well. And when I had the open studio, I mean, I talked to dozens of people. People cried in my room. People told me about the people that they lost. It was like I got to fully mourn my mother. Um, yeah. it, was, it was so interesting. My sisters came to see it. And, and it was... It's 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 a funny thing. Asian families sometimes we don't talk about things, you know. Mm. Especially Asian, you know, first generation immigrant families do not talk about a lot of mm. things. And 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 it's funny because every now and then we don't we don't talk about our mom a ton. Every now and then we bring her up, and and for some reason whenever we do it, we're all kind of like quiet in the room, <laughs> you know, because it's like an awkwardness of acknowledging like personal personal mm. feelings. But being there, they were so happy to see it. And it, we didn't cry in the room. It was this like, they were just like, wow, what is like for them, for us, for me, it was a celebration mm. because I've also had several open studios before then and where people cried and cried and cried. And after a while, you can't, that's not, that's, it wasn't becoming healthy for me to be mm. crying with everybody that came into the room mm -hmm. because, um, the two open, the two open studios we had before that, like people were just crying and I would, then I would have to cry and then it would become awkward. And then, and then it was, but it was really cathartic. And then after a while, when we came to the very last weekend of the, of when the mural was completely done and the mural was really only existed in its complete form for a week, you know, before I had to paint over the room and the residency was over like that weekend where people are coming in, I, I had to step back a little bit and just let people be and grieve. And, but before, yeah. when they would walk in, I would always ask, do you want to know what this do you want to know what this piece is? I always ask permission because, because I know what would happen. I know that people are inevitably going to feel feelings. And sometimes it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to do that, especially because it was a full 360 room and it was a big room, yeah. you know? And I really had to, by the end of it, like step back from it and just let people absorb it. And it was really amazing to hear people tell me about their families, their friends that they lost. Um, and I felt like for me, it was like a closing of chapter. And ever since mm -hmm. then, I haven't, I haven't really cried a lot about it, about mm -hmm. the loss of my mom, because it was like, I, I processed it finally after all this, this time. And, mm -hmm. and that was like, you know, I thought like, this sounds so silly, but this is the power of art. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it really is, though. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it deeply connected with a lot of people, and yeah. also the very the fact that it was in that was not a permanent installation mm -hmm. or you know work. Mm -hmm. And then you you had talked about how you'd used you know cheap craft paint and house paint because you knew it was going to be taken down. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know. And so it's a comment on kind of impermanence and mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, it gave me a lot of leeway because if there if the budget is there. You know, because they're cheap. I probably already had tons of it. Um, it was a lot easier. And, um, you know, craft paint is funny. It's, it's actually quite malleable, which is kind of great. You know, I don't have to like mm. thin it down like I do with like really nice paint. Mm. And, and it was very fluid. I could just like work right, right from it with the bottle, from the bottle and use a giant brush with house paint and just like go and mm. not worry about the preciousness of the material, mm -hmm. you know? And not that a lot of artists worry too much about the preciousness, because once you start buying it, you're just mm. buying all the pain. But I felt like there was something really nice about having to do something in which I could just go, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, for sure. And yeah, also yeah. working on a whole one like that by myself was really, really interesting. <laughs> oh, I can imagine yeah. what that is. I love murals. I mean, it's really funny. I... I love being a studio artist, like sitting in with like, like with my work and um but there's something really great because like guys, I'm not very big. I'm like five one, you know, a small Asian girl. And there's some I feel like when I get to do murals and I've done a bunch of murals, I feel like uh a small girl with a big dog, you know? 
I get to kind of just like do the thing. Um, and it feels kind of magical, you know, even if it's like a lot of it is exhausting. And I definitely like fell asleep on the floor a bunch of times. Like, Hmm. um, but there is something about like just going and not having everything be precious and, and having the whole like murals are all about an illusion. It's all about a feel. Mm -hmm. And, and I really wanted to, I told myself, it's like, you can work so only so much on everything. Like Mm -hmm. you get through it, just finish it, come back, but don't, you don't have to come back. Just like get through each bird, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that, that was a wonderful celebration for your mom there with that, with that mural. I mean, I was more sad on the fact that it was going to be painted over like when it comes, I mean, you know, it is, but, but, but that's like just in a way of like, you know, when holding on to this grief or, 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 or pretty much, you know, dealing with this, you know, throughout a decade or so and getting to this point of painting the mural and then just painting it over in white, you know, just to say that, if, you know, with the residency, like, you feel that that was like an additional step of like of a way of like dealing with the grief and loss and moving forward you know i guess um, like holding with those emotions no i mean i was supposed to paint it over i mean i, I yeah. don't i don't want to take that too much like a symbolism thing i think mm-hmm. that um i always knew that it was going to get painted over and mm-hmm. i had to paint it over with my best friends like they all my friend camilla and kateri came and like helped me do it and it was really funny because uh my friend camilla was took some like uh some like speedy shots like what is it like a uh, time lapse oh. and she would post them and everybody would be like what like like of just <laughs> me like painting over everything but you know what it is um most almost every mural uh, no every mural i've ever done is for private clients so i never got to see them again so it it really for me i mean me getting to destroy it myself was fine it wasn't it didn't feel one way or another mm-hmm. it was just felt like oh i have to put this room back because it's a historic room and someone <clears> else is gonna be here like in like a week but no i mean i wasn't super sad about it i mean i felt more like i did the thing yeah, i did it i yeah. did it i finished mm-hmm. it and, and it was cathartic and yeah. yeah yeah i mean it did what it was supposed to do for me which was in every way surprising and it did i mean the kind of connections i made like i couldn't there's no way i couldn't bottle that feeling you know like i wish i could like it was so amazing mm-hmm. but i the fact that it was here and gone, I'm so grateful for that residency. I'm really, really, I'm really grateful for that residency because first of all, I love, I love Foreheads, that organization. I love Governor's Island and spending that, spending like almost four months there. I mean, I bought myself a lens and I started like following birds there. I started understanding more things. I, I met amazing people. I'm, um, you know, because of the residency and, Honestly, it made me feel really like, like when I get to do a mural and especially getting to do murals by myself, which I mostly do, you know, when I do do a mural is that it's like really seeing the limit, like, like staring down my limitations, like, which is my size and staring down like my capabilities is kind of, it was kind of magical, actually. Like murals for me have always been magical, really exhausting. I mean, I always complain when I do murals because they're so exhausting and nobody, people generally don't get to see them. Right. So if I, because I'm not, I'm not doing public, so many public projects. It's the having something be public and having it, having my first major public project, not only be ephemeral, but be for me was super special. Yeah. You know? So, uh, I don't really, I don't really, it's funny. I don't really mourn that project so much. I don't really like wish it was still up. Did it make you want to do more public mural projects though, going forward? Like now, did it kind of, Give you an impulse to do that? Yes and no. I mean, um, uh, I don't like painting outside. I don't don't know. I mean, I just like doing murals. If if it came up, I would do it, you know? Um, But I don't really think about... uh, I mean, I just like... I'm going to see like like a six-story tall GG like side of a building mural possibly maybe one day <laughs> i mean oh my god painting outside guys i know there's a giant gg mural <laughs> i know mural artists are so amazing when they can do it inside outside i mean i haven't done i've done huge ones indoors that no mm-hmm. one ever gets to see but mm. but they're um i mean they're just like the scale of them it's funny like i don't i, I feel very natural doing them which I, I was really surprised when I first started doing them, like when I was in my twenties, I had a, I, I worked with a partner and it was great. Um, I like to do, I would like to try to do one a year if it's possible, like depending on how things go. But, um, 
you know, just sort of like, yeah, staring down limitations is really interesting. Staring down like your capabilities is really interesting and and doing something like that on my own. And even having this kind of time frame I had, like not, I don't usually get that much time to do a project like that. Usually yeah, like two weeks yeah. for something like that, maybe with a team, if you're lucky, you know. Well, we got to wrap this up, but Dan, did you have any other questions? No, I, no, not, nothing for my, I, I think that's a good send off, you know, especially, <laughs> especially the last, uh, last comment, comment there, you know, with it. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gigi. Really appreciate it. And also thank you, Dan. Um, yeah. well, great conversation. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for letting me co-host with you and taking the co-pilot seat here. Oh, how and, fun. This has been fun. I love yeah. This, this is the this first, is uh, first co-hosted, uh, episode 20, I should mention as well of, uh, the newish podcast. Uh, a special <laughs> round number. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot to everyone out there listening as well. Um, you can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com and on Instagram at interlocutor.interviews. Visit our YouTube channel. If you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or donate via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. Mm-hmm.